The GameCube, GameCube was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. Well, thanks, Victor, for that beautiful intro. Um, yeah, this is uh, this is the GameCube was cool, uh, featuring me, which is uh, that's uh, Mike Lane uh, and uh, my partner in crime, uh, Neil Gilbert. Hello. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, every week Mike and I are just gonna take a little chunk out of the GameCube's history and uh, kind of take it apart and uh, reminisce, you know, uh, get a little nostalgic on certain games, uh, just completely tear apart certain games uh, because of how bad they are. Uh, it's going to be a fun time. You know, one thing I noticed with a lot of these podcasts is people don't tear apart games enough. Uh, you're not listening to the right podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was listening to a few the other day and it's just these people being like, yeah, and can you believe that Ubisoft is releasing this? Believe me, you're not going to get any <laughs> fake excitement from me on most of the games on this in this podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's the fake excitement that was just like killing me when I was listening to some of these. It's like, come on, like, you know, this game is bad. Just get over it. You're not getting sponsored. I can't take it when you like know that there's fake hype in a video. Yeah, you know, like just someone trying to get clicks or whatever it is, you know. Yeah, don't worry, people. You will not hear any fake hype here. We are not looking for clicks. You're also not going to get any review videos because everything on the GameCube is out. So there's nothing to be excited about. <laughs> Can't wait for the new GameCube game. Yeah, they killed it fast. Um, <laughs> so, Mike, how are you doing today? Pretty good. Pretty good. So this is episode one. We're going to just be talking about uh, the general history of the GameCube to start off, uh, get you a little bit of a backstory, and then we're going to go into launch day, which is a really exciting time. And to be honest, launch day was was a really good uh was a really good launch day for for gamecube um 11 games there's 11 games released uh on launch day and all of them are real games yep and four of them are good <laughs> <laughs> oh we should probably introduce ourselves as real people sure we are real people i exist <laughs> so uh my name's mike uh uh i bought the gamecube well actually my parents bought me a gamecube in December 2003 for uh, Christmas. Uh, it was a magical time and I got Double Dash as well uh, that uh, that Christmas. So it was very, very happy time. I got to look for some pictures of me holding a GameCube because I'm sure that exists. Yeah, I, I definitely have one, a picture of me. I got the GameCube a little bit later than you. I got it in October of 2004. It was my 11th birthday, I guess. Uh, I unwrapped, I got the black one. Uh, I didn't get the Mario Kart Double Dash pack in. I got uh, Spider-Man 2 because I absolutely loved that game mm -hmm. when I was a kid. And the movie, of course. Of course. Classic. Yeah. Uh, Sam Raimi, Spider-Man 2, of course. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, the GameCube came out when we were just, like, you know, turning into people uh, with interests and, you know, hobbies. Uh, perfect time, uh, I think, uh, to get involved in this type of thing. It's early 2000s. Uh, we were just, you know, pre-adolescent age, I guess. Mm -hmm. Uh, pop punk was huge, so obviously I was. It was a t good time to be Neil, in my opinion. Uh, that was the first wave, and the third wave of ska obviously had just died, which was very sad. But we're waiting on the fourth wave still. Um, it's gonna happen. Right, just, I uh, guess. Yeah. I get. Yeah. So that was kind of how we started on GameCube. Obviously, you and I were friends at that point uh, for already a couple of years. So we really bonded over this console. Um, we played the Mario parties, uh, the James Bond games. Like everything, uh, we, we shared games, traded games, all that. Yeah, stuff. I, I was thinking the other day. It's funny how um, 
the GameCube has this weird thing of uh, everyone was like, oh, yeah, like my friend had the GameCube and I went over to their house all the time. Or my older brother's friend had this like game for the GameCube, like F-Zero or uh, Wave Race or something. It's all these games that um, like a lot, I feel like a lot of people didn't actually own them. They just knew people who owned them. And they have, and I think because of that, they actually have a lot of like fonder memories of these games because they only played them in just these little bits. Yeah, like probably like all the fond memories people have of certain games were probably only over the course of like a single sleepover party or something like that. Yeah, because you don't see or that a weekend of a blockbuster rental. Or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, because you don't. I don't know. At least for me, I don't hear too many stories about PS2 games. Uh, and uh, people going over to people's houses and playing PS2 games other than specific ones. Because, one, a lot of people own the PS2. Obviously, it's the highest-selling console of all time. Um, but it just I don't think it, it carries the same nostalgia as the GameCube games do, just because of GameCube's uniqueness and weirdness in that market. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting console. Like it was, it was really the last time Nintendo ever tried to go head to head with the other two big guns, That's Sony right. and Microsoft. Uh, they were trying to be on par graphically and uh, content wise. They were clearly targeting an older audience than Nintendo used to do and Nintendo does now. They've kind of gone back to their roots in terms of their target market. This was the only time they were really targeting our age group at the time, which was you know young teenagers for the most part. It felt like. Um, now they've, like I said, they've rubber banded back to mainly just making Mario, Animal Crossing, just those really family friendly games. Um, you're not, you're not going to get too many M rated N- Nintendo games, and you didn't get many then either. But they, no. there were a few. Um, there yeah. were a few. Yeah. So uh, yeah, so just an introduction on the GameCube itself. Uh, gonna run through this summary real quick here. So it was announced for the first time at a press conference in Japan on August twenty fifth, two thousand. It was of course codenamed the Dolphin later on named the, the GameCube, as we know it. Uh, it's the sixth generation of home video game consoles. Uh, predecessor was the N64, which I personally love that console. You never owned one though, right? I did not own the N64, no. Um, again, it's one of those consoles that I remember playing at friends' houses and stuff, but uh, no, I never owned it. Uh, I feel like a lot of our generation owned the N64, but doesn't remember it that well. Like they have, uh, they have, rose-colored glasses towards a lot of games on n64 just because they're of that like of that age where they were younger they play these games for the first time and obviously it changed their whole perspective on gaming in that like world um but going back to a lot of these games like ocarina or um goldeneye it's it's pretty tough to play those games now yes absolutely and my like i've i still own one i still play it every so often I'll, i'll hook it up and play mario kart or whatever it is and it's it's unfortunate, but yeah, most of those games have not aged. And I, I think the only one that I can honestly say is easy to play still is Star Fox. Um, yeah, it still lo- it still looks good and it's still fun to play. The controls make sense because everything's on rails. There's no deviation or anything like that. The character models are all fairly basic. Um, the voice acting is obviously cheesy, but uh, <laughs> I think it was because a lot of those games were made for their time and nothing else. And it shows in a lot of them. Where Star Fox 64 is kind of like, uh, I mean, it's almost just like a, a recreation of the SNES one, right? It's like, and that's kind of what Star Fox has always been. Um, and they did a pretty good job with like capturing the essence of how they did it in SNES and made it for the N64. Where a lot of these games, they kind of just were like, hey, look, um, we can do 3D stuff now. And there's there's no there's no bar set for 3D yet. 
Uh, no one had like the, um, I'm just going to use like Red Dead, for example, in terms of graphic capability, but like no one had that bar set for anything. So, uh, you know, for a lot of these games like Ocarina or like, um, uh, yeah, I'm just going to say Ocarina and GoldenEye again, <laughs> but like any any game really for the N64 or that era of consoles, it's uh, it was pretty hard to actually create these great games that would last because they were so specifically for that time and nothing else. Yeah, they're not nearly as timeless as the consoles before it with the NES and the SNES. Those games honestly age like a fine wine. They're still fun to play. They still, you understand them right away. Yeah. N64 games take a minute to get to get a hold of. But uh, the one thing that I found super interesting, which I just found out before we started recording, was from the time the GameCube came out in 2001 to, uh, I guess, the end of the N64's life cycle, there were nine games that came out. Wow. Nine. So from two th- and that includes the year of GameCube. So from 2001 January 1st until the last game on N64 in 2002, nine games, which was about what 14 months. That's crazy. So they Nintendo is notoriously great at murdering their consoles once a new one comes out. <laughs> and like in the last year of the N64, you had Majora's Mask and Doctor Mario, and that was basically it. Wow. So that console, yeah, it went out fast. Yeah, because it it sold about half as much as uh the SNES did yep um and then the gamecube sold half as much as that. <laughs> yeah we're, we're gonna get to that um so back to the gamecube it launched on uh in north america by the way this podcast is going to be completely north american based we don't really have the resources to get into the japanese uh market of the games <laughs> so it went from november 18th uh and it died in 2007 roughly right after the wii came out uh, it launched uh at 199 us dollars my favorite fact about the GameCube is that it's not a cube. It's a rectangle. It's barely even a rectangle. It's uh, 150 millimeters by 161 millimeters by 110 millimeters. And that was my first impression of the GameCube when I saw it. I knew it wasn't a cube the first time I... <laughs> That's really funny. In the TV ads, they always showed cubes. They did. Yeah, it was uh, It was all about like like cube-based things, yeah. Even the GameCube itself in the ads, I think, I don't know if they were using, obviously, a fake console, but I'm pretty sure the, the console itself was cube-shaped. I don't think it was the actual game console. I don't know. You I'll could be right. Look. Yeah. It's really hard to watch those, too, because, like, it's all, uh, the resolution on the screen is not great. Uh, other than the shape, uh, color-wise, it launched in indigo purple, black, and silver. I had the black version. Um, still have it. I later on lucked out and bought the purple one at a Goodwill for eight bucks. <laughs> um, steal. That was, yeah, crazy steal. Um, still hunting down the silver. Hopefully someday. Um, I was going to say, doesn't orange exist? Because I've seen orange. Is that Japan only? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I thought, yes. I thought it might've been like a weird one like that. Yeah. I've seen that there's an orange one. I've seen that there's a uh, emerald, I believe is the color name, which also is Japan. Okay. Uh, it's that it's that like the light blue slash kind of purplish one. You know what I'm talking about? I can picture it, but I don't know if that that might just be a custom made it one. Could be a custom made one. Ever... the The controller is real though. The controller, uh, that color of the controller was real. Yeah, th- I really wish I really wish Nintendo kept up with the controller uh, variations. Like with the N64, they just went nuts. Yeah, with yeah. Control. I don't know what happened. They're making see-through ones, non-see-through <laughs> ones, colorful, like Pokemon themed. It was Zelda themed. Like they went crazy. Now, like 
with the, uh, they're going back to it kind of with the joy cons uh with the switch yeah um, but the gamecube only had i think maybe four max five variations with black silver purple orange uh blue i think that might have been it black silver purple orange blue i uh, blue is i guess the yeah, emerald uh kind of like, yeah yeah, but yeah, there there weren't many, but they... I could be wrong. You don't see many others other than, like, you see black and purple the most. Yeah, yeah. And silver and orange, I think, are the more rare ones, if you want to call them rare. Yeah, orange for sure is the rare one. Yeah. Um, so it was the first console to launch without a Mario game. Uh, first Nintendo console to launch up to that point Interesting. without a Mario game. Which was a big deal at the time. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, because the NES launched with Mario Bros. Of course. Uh, Super NES launched with... Uh, New, uh, Super Mario World mm-hmm. N64 launched with Super Mario 64 Yeah, and people were expecting a Mario game to launch and they were kind of miffed when we got Luigi's Mansion which at the time everyone thought it was okay but no one was hyped for it and no, looking looking back on it now it's one of the most beloved GameCube games but at the time it wasn't yeah, yeah. Uh, you, know you know what, what? It's, it's, it's funny, funny like white like, retrospect, retrospect like we'll, we'll do, do. it's because yeah, yeah in, 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 in my mind that on gamecube <laughs> in my <laughs> mind like, like obviously uh luigi's mansion is a great game and i have like fond memories of it but yeah if you were like our age and the gamecube came like today and the gamecube came out and luigi's mansion got released instead of a triple a mario game yeah i think too to be honest yeah uh because you know the mario's all the Mario games up to that point were like, they changed the game, no pun intended. They, you know, invented uh, the 3D controls. They invented the 2D platformer, basically, reinvented it. Mm-hmm. And then to not have a new Mario game to take us into this sixth generation of consoles, it was really jarring. Um, we obviously got one later, but for the first one to be this kind of Ghostbusters spinoff was a little, <laughs> you know, it was a little jarring. I'm sure most people picked up Luigi's Mansion with their GameCube anyway. We'll talk about the other games that were available, but if you wanted a first party Nintendo game, you were either getting this one or you were waiting a few weeks for uh, Smash Bros. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. But uh, at the end of its life, it, it ended up only selling 21.75 million consoles, uh, which is terrible. Um by today's standards especially oh yeah uh next to the ps2 which obviously was an anomaly it sold 155 million uh most of those are just dvd players in my opinion uh, I, <laughs> yes. I don't believe everyone that bought a ps ps2 was in it for god of war and gta no yeah and that that is the that is the argument often that the ps2 was basically just a dvd player brick uh and obviously it has some of the best games of all time and it's a great console but did it sell 155 million game consoles? No. No. No, there's no way. Um, I'm sure everyone had maybe one game per console. And a lot of the games on there, you know, sold millions of units. So there were people buying games on the PS2. But yeah, I I, I can't say that I'm a nostalgic. I'm very nostalgic for the PS2. I'm not. Yeah, I wonder what the uh, the attachment rate is for uh, like, like what game has the highest attach rate for PS2? That's a good question. Um, you think God of War maybe? No, I'd, I would I would have said one of the FIFA games, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it might be G- Gran Turismo, like one of or one of the GTAs, probably. Something like that. I'm, I'm probably I'm drawing a blank because I just don't know so much about that console. But mm-hmm. what's crazy about the PS2 is that the last game that came out for it, I believe, was uh, FIFA 14. Yes, the PS2 has had a, uh, a hilariously long life cycle. In the sense that there was still almost upsetting. <laughs> there was still quite a bit of stuff that was getting made for it. Um, that and that's kind of like a Sony thing to do. 
which is... They're the opposite of Nintendo. They don't let their consoles die fast, except the Vita. They don't. <laughs> Sorry, what? Never heard of that. Yeah, I guess not. <laughs> <laughs> There's, for a lot of the sports games for Sony, they what they do is when a new console releases, they create these legacy editions. I don't know if you've heard about this. No. Basically, it's so stupid. It's literally the exact same game. Like, I know these sports annual sport franchises are basically the exact same game but these legacy editions are literally the exact same game with just new rosters oh good because they because they can't handle the new engines or whatever their their reasoning is so they just make the exact same game like nhl 15 for ps3 or something right and they just slap on the legacy sticker and i guess enough people buy it uh but it's so weird that they still they do that instead of doing the Nintendo method, which is just like, no, you're not playing this game anymore. Yeah, we're <laughs> we're moving you to the next console. <laughs> yeah. Just kindly switch seats. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's two different business models, and both companies are successful in their own right. So I, I can't really fault PlayStation for doing that, and I can't fault Nintendo for killing their hardware fast. It definitely incentivizes us to buy their consoles right after launch. Uh, whereas PlayStation, no problem waiting two or three years into the life cycle to wait for a price drop. Yeah. Yes, the PS4 is going to be uh, supported probably for the next three to four years, I would think. At least, well, the PS3 is still supported. So, I mean, I, I think the PS4 is going to be supported for the next five years. Easily. And yeah. the store will obviously be up there for decades to come. So, yeah, no, no problem. But, you know, the Switch is going to be killed fast. Um Anyway, so the PS2, 155 million units, and then the Xbox original, uh, 24 million, so slightly more than the GameCube. Um, I, I have even less to say about the Xbox than the PS2. We don't have to linger on that too no, much. No, let's just it keep going. <laughs> it had Halo, it had Knights of the Old Republic, you know. Uh, so again, the GameCube had 657 games total. That goes across North America and Japan. Uh, but we're going to be talking about the 555 North American games. The games that we had access to at our local game stores, our blockbusters, our friends had them. Um, so I feel like from there, uh, that's kind of a good overview of the history of the console. Um, yeah, that's pretty think? good. Anything, anything we might have missed? I don't know. Well, I mean, we're going to be talking about the history throughout this whole podcast. This whole podcast, folks, you're going to be listening to GameCube related things. That's we, and we don't have a goal for how many episodes this whole thing is going to be. It's just going to be however long it takes. Yeah, so I guess we, I guess we should we should go over how these episodes are going to work. Um, so the idea is that we're going to go through the entire backlog of GameCube semi chronologically, and basically what that means is that we are going to kind of categorize a whole bunch of these games together and just get them on uh, get them off in just one podcast episode. Um, and so example of that is like the soccer games. There are 11 different soccer games for uh, the GameCube. Uh, we are going to talk about all of them in one episode. Because... <laughs> well, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's going to be uh, quite a few episodes like that. But we'll still be going through chronologically uh, for the most part. And uh, there'll also be a couple of AAA episodes. And what those are is where we kind of sit down, discuss one game in its entirety, really go deep into it, go deep into the history, go deep into the making of it, uh, and just kind of share some of our fond memories of it. Uh, some of these games include Luigi's Mansion, Pikmin, 
uh, Melee. Uh, there's quite a few others, but uh, we're really excited for those ones, obviously. The other format that we'll have is the AA format. And we categorize AA games as sort of uh, large developer games that were made uh, either for multiple consoles or specifically for the GameCube that have either a large following or games that we really love and enjoy. Uh, games, examples of that, I guess, would be Super Monkey Ball, Eternal Darkness, uh, Batman Vengeance. A little bit, that's a little bit nebulous, that category. It's more just games that we really like or there's games that a lot of information on that we can uh we can gather online that yep. already exists yeah and we'll be doing those in in uh two or three per episode for the double a games uh so those are the smaller ones where the compilation episodes will be you know closer to maybe 10 games or so an episode mm-hmm. and straight off the bat we have not played all of these games uh we don't have access to all of these games uh sure i'm, I'm sure that there's emulators and things like that but uh, I have a fairly decent collection of GameCube games. I think I own between 40 and 50 of them. Uh, so not even 10%. Um, That's crazy I, to I'll me. Prob- I, well, it's it's a few. It's not... Uh, I've seen way bigger collections on YouTube. Oh, no, no. I'm saying like that's crazy to me that because I, I, I picture you obviously always owning a lot of GameCube games and the fact that that's only like 10% of the GameCube games you could own is just kind of mind-boggling to me. I, I feel like I have most of the big ones at this point in my collection. I'm sure I will buy more as we go through this show, just because I'll I'll see things that I, oh that looks cool I'll buy that one. Or I still come across games all the time in the in our local stores that you and I visit frequently, uh, and I pick them up. They're they're not too expensive to collect for yet. The console hasn't reached that peak. I don't think it's getting close to peak mm-hmm. price, especially for games like Fire Emblem and and. Uh, can't wait for uh, that episode. Oh boy, I've yeah, like three hundred dollars for some of these games is outrageous. <laughs> Path Unless you're a huge yeah. fan, love it. Support yeah, your I local scene. <laughs> Support your local GameCube scene. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's thriving, <laughs> throbbing. I would say. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, we're gonna do our best to try and scavenge as much information on some of these games that we can without actually playing them ourselves. So. Uh, if you're looking for a podcast where the hosts have played every single game and will be playing every single game, this is not the show. Those are really boring, though. Like, those are... If you're looking for a podcast where someone's talking enthusiastically about Finding Nemo on GameCube, <laughs> you go. You go. Find it. Um, uh, we're going to talk about games in depth, but not those ones. I can't wait for the movie tie-in episode. One of them. There's going to be multiple, actually, so I hope everyone's ready for that. But yeah, so my goal of this whole podcast, I know we each have our own small goals with it, but I'd like to just say that we've at least uh, no, we've given recognition to every single game on the platform to this point, because we've been fans of this platform for almost 20 years now. Uh, and I feel like it's it's time to do it justice, to close the book on it, to say, you know, this is it, put a stamp and, yeah. and uh, call it a day. We can finally move on to uh, the next console. <laughs> no, we do play other things. We, we don't just play GameCube. <laughs> But we do love Nintendo. This is a Nintendo podcast. Nintendo, if you're listening, please sponsor us. For, yeah, we we will sell out in a heartbeat. <laughs> I'm in here only for the money. Yeah, right. Well, you're for the wrong reasons. <laughs> um, you're like, I don't know. I don't know if I should tell you this, but <laughs> this is not paying. <laughs> so, all right. So, as Mike said, this episode is going to be 100% launch game focused, minus uh, 
a lot of the filler games. Uh, we'll get to those later, as well as the main launch game, which in my opinion was Luigi's Mansion. I think most people would agree with that. That was the main game. Might not be the best game, but it was definitely the number one Nintendo game. Uh, so today we're just going to go over five of the launch games. Um, so uh, I guess I will begin. Okay. So the GameCube, the GameCube, as I said, it launched as all of these games did on November eighteenth, uh, a mere three weeks away from the first Harry Potter film. Uh, you were picking. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, I guess two thousand one was Harry Potter. Yeah, it came out the next month in uh, late November, I guess. Actually, yeah, it might have actually just been out then. I can't remember. Mariah Carey's Glitter also came out in September of 2001. Um, We should do a Mariah Carey podcast. I think we should. Have you ever seen Glitter? No. It's, it is, oh, you need, we got to watch that. That is, it's, uh, I don't even know how to describe it. Okay, you know what the best way for me to describe it? Okay. Mariah Carey blamed its downfall uh, on 9-11 uh, because it came out uh, around the same time. And uh, she also refuses to talk about it in interviews and will leave when it gets brought up. Wow. So we're only going to bring up glitter on every episode. That's right. Yeah. So to hope that Mariah Carey hears this, I know she's a big, big GameCube fan, loves Chibi Robo. Oh, yeah. Huge Chibi Robo fan. <laughs> she, she... She got that Walmart exclusive day one. <laughs> is I don't is that on her list? Because I don't remember writing it. Okay, one hundred percent is. Oh yeah, Are you kidding me? <laughs> I don't know. All right. So from these five games, we'll uh, we'll go through them. We're gonna read the backs of each box because I think that's interesting to me. Uh, that that's how back in the day we picked games in the store. We didn't have YouTube. We didn't have podcasts to listen to on endless hours of reviews on each game you kind of had the back of the box uh if it was a franchise you had even mildly heard of before played it at a friend's house that's all you had so uh we're gonna go through each game uh back of the box and uh if we have nothing else to say about the game i think we'll just kindly move on from them (laughs) uh we could watch less plays but i think that would just take up too much of the listener's time um and it has to be entertaining so starting with uh let's see the first game here batman vengeance yeah i can i can talk about that game okay uh i actually back do you want me to read the back of the game first yeah yeah let's do so okay this is where victor victor says it's time to read what's on the back of the case there's things written on the back of the case let's read them and now we're reading the back of the case it's like, oh, okay. you know, you know how like 2000s commercials, for whatever reason, had to narrate everything. Yeah, I'll do that with certain games that I can imagine are on YTV. I mean, some of these games <laughs> clearly wouldn't have been, but I, I can see Batman being on Cartoon Network on Saturday morning. OK, fine, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll bite. OK. A darker justice must be served. Action with a vengeance. Become Batman with blistering martial arts combos, over 500 unique animated moves, and a multifunctional cape with its own AI. What? Okay. We'll go back to that. <laughs> Live the dark night, explore, fight, sneak, decipher, drive, pilot, and even battle a massive midair freefall. Sleek weapons and devices, wield batarangs, brat, Jesus, bat grapples, flash bombs, remote charges, bat cuffs, nets, and the bat puncher, bat scope, and more. That's a lot of things. Next gen technology featuring 5.1 Dolby surround sound. <laughs> over, over 40 minutes of rendered cinematics <laughs> and 19 open environments through Gotham City. 
they just read what's on the back of the case. There's words written on the back of the case, they just read them. And that's what's written on the back of the case. So that's, uh, wow. I, I love, I love the fact that Dolby surround sound had to be mentioned there. Uh, I, I guarantee we will not see that on any other box. Uh, nah, that's my, that's my, my guarantee. So this is where there's more than one Batman game on this console. I know. And I'm not, so I'm still saying that there's no way. Why would you write Dolby surround sound on that? Who? Okay. Anyways, we're, yeah, yeah. I'm more interested in multifunctional cape with its own AI. So I uh, like I don't you know what ahead. I have never played. this game. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know what they mean by that. I think they just mean that they have like cape physics. I think that's what they're trying to say. But they didn't know what word to use at the time. And so like the marketing department was probably like, uh, you want to see like like cape AI. And I just imagine like the devs being like, oh, there's no AI on this. Like we just actually rendered it properly this time. Yeah, yeah, they probably didn't know how to like actually market games yet. Uh, no, no, they didn't. Just, like the vocabulary, if you, yeah, if you go back and look at games, like the way that they were reviewed, the way that they were explained or described, uh, it's not the same as it was now. Because games now are marketed like movies. That's the difference. And they're also marketed by people who play games, whereas back then, yes. like, this was around that tipping point where people that were marketing and developing games weren't gamers. So they nope. had to find a way to describe it to a group of people that they really weren't a part of. Yeah, it's true. Which I find kind of interesting, too, about this this era. Um, so, yeah, like I said, it's clearly a tie-in to the 90s Batman with Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill. I'm 100% certain that none of those voice actors are in there. Uh, no, they are, actually. So, uh, if, I, if I may, Neil. Uh, so, yeah, this game is actually pretty cool. So it was produced... Uh, by uh like the same people who did the batman animated series and yes it was a tie into that and so because of that they actually got all the original voice actors for it which is pretty cool uh kevin connery and mark hamill reprised their roles as batman and the joker uh which is very cool to see and that's one thing i remember about the game i remember the game being like the the cutscenes and everything being very good um because of that reason and also they're animated really well. If you actually like look at some of these, these uh, like videos of it, and like looking back twenty years later, it's like, oh wow, this looks like not bad for, for a launch game too. Like you have to imagine this game was probably not in development for too long. It might have been an N sixty four game at one point. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, because I think this it came out for Xbox and uh, PS two as well. Correct. Yes. But yeah, it, it surprisingly has the original voice actors. I know I, I probably blew your mind right there. Yeah, you did. And I don't want to crap on this game too much just because looking at it through 2020 lens, looking back, it, it doesn't look great. Like picture on the back, the pictures on the back look very uh, mediocre at best. Uh, I'm sure, like you said, the story is probably fine. Uh, my uh, my experience with Batman games is mostly the new Arkham series on PS3, Xbox 360, and the new hardware, PS4, um, which is, in my opinion, the spiritual successor to, obviously, the uh, the cartoon, uh, high value, for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, this era of Batman games, I did not touch, so... Yeah, this... Glad it, has, it does have a pretty decent following, though, this game, as far as I know. Yes, it does, yeah, and I think uh, the story, because of the story, because of the idea that it is basically a direct tie-in with the original... Uh, animated series which was uh, obviously emmy winning and very well received and so a lot of people wanted to see more of this um 
you also have some good like characterizations and some cool like art style uh that they kind of borrowed from the the series one thing i completely forgot about is that the beginning scene is almost identical to the end scene of the dark knight oh wow like a construction building or whatever with Batman holding the uh, the Joker, like fighting the Joker, the Joker like falls off, and then Batman saves him. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah, but then the Joker shocks Batman and instead falls to his death. Oh wow, that's twisty. Or does he? Oh, I guess I'll have to play it to find out. You will have to play it to find out. I won't. No. So, <laughs> yep. No. So first game down. Wow, five hundred and fifty-four to go. Five hundred fifty-four to go. Yeah, that was Batman Vengeance. Cool. Next up, uh, Crazy Taxi. Good old Crazy Taxi. Not the best platform to play Crazy Taxi on, but here it is anyway. Prepare for the craziest cab ride of your life. Weave through crowded streets, across sidewalks, and even underwater in a frantic race to deliver passengers on time in Crazy Taxi. Time is uh, money, and only the craziest of cabbies earn their fare. Two expansive interactive courses. Wow, two. For extensive (laughs) gameplay. Play three modes, Arcade, Original, and Crazy Box. Choose from four different cabs and drivers, each with their own style and attitude. Rocking soundtrack from big hits like Offspring and Bad Religion. Oh, boy. Yep. This is a Neil game. There's, um, so it's funny how they say big hits like Offspring and Bad Religion. There are only three songs in this game. <laughs> yeah it's a true story i forget what bad religion and offspring songs are in there i'm sorry i wish i knew that right now it's almost as if i can have i have a computer that i can look it up on though <laughs> i know one of them is the offspring song off of their uh oh god the first album yeah 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 whatever i forgot how the song goes. anyway <laughs> that was terrible but it's not the new stuff like it's nothing off of smash or uh americana yeah. Um, again, I don't have any experience with this one, unfortunately. It's on my list of GameCube games I'd like to pick up because I know that the, uh, I think the GameCube version got butchered in terms of its soundtrack. I think the definitive way to play it is on Dreamcast. Technically, the definitive way to play it would be on uh, arcade uh, cabinets instead because I I played it. Oh, I've never played it on Dreamcast. I can't, I can't lie to say that I have, but I've obviously played it on arcade cabinets. I've also played it on GameCube. Um, and I definitely can say that arcade cabinets are way better to play it on. It just feels much more real. You also have a steering wheel for one. Um, and it, it doesn't seem the same when you're using the GameCube controller for it. It does control really well. Like it's definitely fun and you can do some crazy flips and stuff. It is actually, this is actually a Dreamcast port, to be honest. This, this specific GameCube version is a Dreamcast port. Okay. Well, it's definitely one that I see it all over the place. Uh, I should just one day just pull the trigger and pick it up just to play it uh, and find out what those three Offspring and Bad Religion songs are because I'm a big <laughs> fan of Bad Religion and I'm a fan of Offspring. I like them. Of course. But definitely Bad Religion would be the band for me. Um, yeah, I guess that would have been... I'm just trying to think now. Like 2000 and I guess the 90s was when this game actually came out. 99. Yeah, that would have been perfect timing. Yeah, perfect timing for those bands. Uh, not so much Bad Religion, more so the Offspring. Um Anyway, let's move on to our next game. Oh, I I, I had more to uh, say. I had more to oh, say. Okay. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I apologize. Keep going. Uh, yeah, no, I wanted to talk about something funny too, how Crazy Taxi had some a lot of legal issues, actually. There was a couple things. 
that happened. One of them was its use of in-game advertising. I, I can't remember exactly what the ads were, but they had like certain ads that they just ripped from TV or whatever or radio that would be in like the, in the car, right? And I, I, and I guess technically they weren't allowed to use these ads. So they got some copyright stuff there uh, as well. None of the songs could be played on Game Boy Advance or PSP because of some other licensing issues. Uh, and one of my favorite things is that the core gameplay mechanic was actually patented by Sega. And this was one of the first times that someone tried to patent a gameplay, which I thought is really interesting. This had never really happened before. It, it kind of happened with Mario and with, with Nintendo. The times that people would copy it were more hilarious than actually like real games. Like you, you could argue to us like in a sense that Sega and like Sonic kind of copied the Mario formula, but it definitely wasn't infringing on copyright. No, no. Yeah, Sega tried to actually patent this uh, gameplay mechanic, the idea of just like driving around and smashing into people and picking people up, and which was a kind of contentious battle because as we're going to be talking about soon, a couple months later, a game called Simpsons Road Rage released. Right. And now I'm going to say... Yeah, I was going to say, did they win anything? Because I, I feel like that this maybe it's just that this game was a, a place in time, but uh, in the 90s and early 2000s. But I feel like we don't get games like this at all. No, no, it, you, you're right. It's definitely a place in time. But I think also I think people might have gotten a little scared off from that because, yeah, they did settle out of court. I don't know. Obviously, we don't know what the details were, um, assuming that Sega just asked for a lot of money at first so that they could settle with uh uh, EA, who made The Simpsons, um, because obviously EA had very large pockets at this time, and Sega had no money, literally no money. So, and they still don't. Yeah, 2001 was not a good time for Sega. So they were probably just trying to sue whatever they could and like get as much money as they could. But I just thought that was a really interesting tidbit, the fact that uh, they tried to patent a video game mechanic. Hmm. That's crazy. I've never heard that before. No. Today I learned. I've learned that today. Yeah, that's funny. And just talking, I'm going to touch on Sega briefly. This is probably the only generation of Sega that I can honestly say that I probably uh, respect, <laughs> for lack of a better term. Yeah, uh, yeah. They, they were publishing and developing great games for the GameCube, moving over all their old stuff. Finally, um, they created some of the best games on the console, in my opinion, which was much needed since Nintendo lost Rare. Uh, rareware yeah to microsoft in this generation who were huge supporters of the n64 um so it was really nice to get another third-party developer um supporting the console other mm -hmm. than just nintendo pumping out games and like i said we're going to get to a bunch more sega games in this podcast um so i do have to give credit where credit's due i give sega way too much crap in modern day well because modern day sega doesn't really exist in the way that we know it, right? It, modern day Sega is just like a shell of itself. Yeah. We it, got the Sonic movie at least. Oh my God. I forgot that it came out. <laughs> yeah. It's out. Like it's, it's on streaming now. We yeah. Can, we should uh, check. I want to, I'm not going to pay a cent for it. I'll wait for Netflix or something. Uh, can we do a podcast uh, episode solely devoted to the, uh, to the movie? I don't see why we can't. <laughs> I don't see why we can't. It's just going to be two hours of just like mostly silence and then just us quipping. <laughs> oh, are we watching it live? Yes. Like it's a real time. Yeah. Oh, 
Oh. Dear. Oh, dear. That means I can't check my phone. <laughs> Damn it. Okay, yeah, that's that's all I got for Crazy Taxi. Yep. Yeah, that's pretty much all I had for it, too. Uh, moving on to the next game. This is one I don't have to read off my computer because I own the next three games we're going to be talking about. Oh, nice. So, yeah, isn't that pretty? Um, so the next one we'll talk about is the worst title of any video game on the console. Star Wars Rogue Leader Rogue Squadron 2. I mean, I'd argue that Rogue Squadron 3 is even worse because 3 is longer than 2. That's true. It's an extra uh, <laughs> Roman numeral. <laughs> it's just too long of a title. It's a um, that's semantics, but it's an awkward series title-wise. Great series, in my opinion. Uh, oh, yeah. Started on the N64 with Rogue Squadron 1, um, then became a launch title for the GameCube. Um, have you, do you have any experience with this game? Nope. I have never played this game. Okay, well, uh, most consider this game to be one of the best Star Wars games. I, uh, doing some research for this uh, podcast, I uh, read it on multiple top 10 lists for the GameCube, which I thought was crazy. So I need to play this game. Yeah, I played it a little bit last week just to prepare for this episode. And it's, it's one of those games that just holds up. Like, it's beautiful still. Wow. Uh, sound design, mixing is all great. Um like it's all the missions are from the original trilogy, which is when the only part of Star Wars you should probably really care about. Uh, playing the Hoth missions are fun. Obviously, you get to take down the ATATs. Um, it's hard. It's not an easy game. Uh, mm-hmm. Easy to understand. You're flying. You're shooting. Just difficult to master. It's one of those games that's easy to learn, difficult to master, which is perfect. That's cool. Uh, yeah. Um, and so I'll read the back real quick. There's not much on this one, which I like. They respected my time. <laughs> Awesome cinematic graphics and intense action-packed gameplay put puts you in the movies. That's in quotes in the movies. <laughs> Be Luke Skywalker or Wedge Antilles and fly your choice of X-wings, <laughs> B-wings, Y-wings, snowspeeders, and more. Eleven plus heroic missions send you to Hoth, Cloud City, the Death Star, and other legendary Star Wars locales. Nothing super interesting on the back of that. Uh, you could probably understand what the game was going to be just by looking at. Why do they put Wedge and Tilly's on the, on the back? Because Wedge and because <laughs> this is featuring the voice actor Dennis Lawson, the original voice of or the original Wedge and Tilly's. Oh wow, that's uh, that's great. He voice acted in it. I I, I, uh, it's, I don't know. you play as Wedge in the series. Like that's who you play as. Oh really? I did not know that. Yeah, you play as him in the first one, I think, completely. I never beat that game because it's just too hard. You don't play him as as him in the third one. Not that I remember. No, so you play as him in this one and the first one. Okay. See, I didn't know that, but I thought it was very funny. And just so they know that they're not lying, next to the picture says actual in-game screens. And the screenshots look great, actually. Um, Better than the Batman Vengeance ones, I'm sure. 100%. It's it's hard to believe that they came out the same day, let alone... Yeah. (laughs) Even the same console generation. Sometimes I wonder about like it's you know what it's like. It's like when you you're like looking online for houses or or not even houses, just like for if you're looking online for just like buying uh, stuff, and pe- people don't know how to take pictures. No, like it, like you have like the flash on, you have like a blurry picture of a table. It, it's the same thing with video games and with the backs of video games. People don't know how to market some of these things. You look on the back of some of these like Batman Vengeance and it's just these terrible screenshots showing you nothing, like literally nothing what the game is about. 
it is a bit of a waste of space. And I, and, and to your point, they don't do it anymore, really. Uh, I haven't looked at the back of a game box recently, but as far as I know, I don't think they do screenshots anymore. I could be wrong. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't I never look at the back of games anymore because they don't have summaries anymore. Hold on. I'm going to I'm going to look on the back of one. Hold, hold on. <laughs> which which game are you getting? I'm going to get a, I'm going to get a Switch game and I'm going to get a PS4 game. OK, so I have here. I have Breath of the Wild and I have Red Dead Redemption. Breath of the Wild, I think, does have screenshots on the back. They do. They they almost only have screenshots on the back. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, actually, well, yeah, I guess they, they are screenshots. They're just like, they're more just like stills of the game. Yeah, it's like a little collage of screenshots. That's what screenshots are, Mike. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I meant more like like promo shots of the game that like you wouldn't actually be able to take in the game, but, but but they they are mostly like like now that I'm looking at it, it is basically screenshots. So, uh, it's actually really well done. So yeah, I'll give some props there to, to Breath of the Wild. So for Red Dead Redemption 2, I mean, no, I would say these are not really screenshots. These are more, these are more promo shots. Okay. Yeah, it's definitely a lot more CG images, computer generated, more like a screensaver or like a desktop background. Yes. That you would get. That's exactly. The, the, these are more desktop backgrounds. But see, the, the beauty of Breath of the Wild is that these are screenshots, but they might as well be promo shots because the game is so beautiful. Of course, yeah, that game will age perfectly. Uh, I think that's going to be one of those games that in 20 years when we do a Switch podcast uh, will hold up. Yes, in my opinion. Yeah, but, uh, we shall. We shall. We shall see. We'll <laughs> have to wait until the Switch is done before we do a Switch podcast. Basic r reading ability is needed to fully enjoy this game. <laughs> <I'm out. laughs> I did not know that this. I've never seen that written on anything before. That's funny. <laughs> I think you need that for almost every video game. You need some form of reading. It doesn't say it on Red Dead's, and I've never seen it anywhere else, but pretty clearly on the, the Switch one, it's just like basic reading ability, please. No idiots allowed. <laughs> that's that's good. Yeah, anyways. So yeah, the Rogue Leader series, uh, well-respected Nintendo franchise. It's You can only play them on Nintendo hardware. Uh, it lived and died on the N64 and the GameCube. Um I doubt we're ever going to get a remaster or a remake. So unfortunately, this is one of those uh, one of those franchises that's just stranded in the past. Who is the developer on those? Factor Five. Factor Five. And what did what did they, what have they done? Are they still alive? They're still alive. Let me look up and see what they do now. I feel like I, I'm gonna kick myself for not knowing this, but sorry if you heard the typing. Because uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm wondering like. I'm wondering how that I always wonder how like LucasArts's licenses worked because from the period of, I guess, 99 to when Disney bought them, uh, 2012, those 13 years, those licenses were everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how that works with their video game. Because now now it's very specific. Now Disney is like, OK, like we're only going to license this out to EA uh you know we're only going to do this for it but yeah th they clearly don't care um about where the video game is as long as it's making money which ea is good at mm -hmm. so as long as it makes money i don't think they honestly care about their video game output no 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 they, they definitely don't not at all i think that they're i think that they are re-releasing games from the past though just to keep the license yes because that's disney does that for copyright reasons yeah. exactly yep. so a couple of years ago we got super star wars on everything for some random oh yeah i forgot about that 
last year we got uh, Jedi Knights <clears throat> Academy, I think, or something on on Switch, PS4, mm-hmm. and probably PC. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now this year, thank God, we're getting Star Wars Pod Racer <laughs> on Switch and PS4. Uh, for those of you out there, I'm only playing that this year. That's a Neil game. Yeah, this is. I'd say Pod Racing is probably Neil's favorite thing, next to Scooby Doo yeah yeah it's close second i think scooby-doo takes the cake but when scooby-doo pod racing crossover <laughs> comes out <laughs> i have a soft spot for futuristic racers in all seriousness but... yeah no no like pod racing okay so real talk like pod racing for the n64 so i remember playing that game at my dentist's office uh they had these really crappy really small tvs with n64s and i guess they like that was like in the waiting room because it was like mostly for kids right and I remember playing the pod racing game there when I was probably six or seven. And that was crazy to me, that game. It was so fun. It was so cool. And I wish that they had continued that in some way in Star Wars, just in in the movies or in the games. In the <sighs> games, I think. It, it doesn't need to be in the movie. I know. Put it back in. Movies put it, are, have, have enough problems as is. Put it in episode eight. It it was there. It was so. It was we were I so we close. Were it, man. I thought we were getting it. No lie. You're just like edge of your seat, just just edging for it. That was the only time I was at the edge of my seat of that movie. <laughs> but anyway, Factor Five. They developed all the Rogue Squadron games. Yeah, uh, a few N64 games. Their last game it looks like was 2007. Okay, so they're they're <laughs> that's that's too bad. Yeah, they've probably been you know taken apart and taken to other companies i blame ea they might have been renamed i guess i don't know yeah uh, no one will ever know um but yeah factor five they're again one of those well-respected nintendo uh developers because they made a great star wars game which we don't get a lot of these days no we don't get really at all uh no no we don't <laughs> so that's pretty much all i have to say on rogue leader uh so like so it's a it's the same as one and three basically right you're flying around yeah you never get out of your ship or anything you're 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 flying the missions from the movies so Uh, you go to each planet you shoot down a ship or turrets or whatever you protect uh convoys um you fight x-wings you fight or you don't fight x-wings you're in the x-wings you fight tie fighters tie bombers adats atsts etc this era of gaming is so interesting to me because you have um so many of these games that were made that are basically just like games of a game and what i mean by that is like crazy taxi is basically just like driving around in gta and just the driving portion of gta rogue uh, rogue leader is basically just like the flying part of any kind of star wars or star fox adventure game like part it's 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 a small like part of it and it's really like like if, if it was made today people would be like oh where's the rest of the game I, I, I somewhat disagree with that because Fortnite, if Fortnite was a game back in the 2000s or 90s, that would have been a portion of another game. That's true. A, okay. A battle okay. royale mode in, in like a 007 game, you have multiple multiplayer modes. You can play Capture the Flag. You can play Team Fortress or whatever, um, you know, two on two, whatever yeah. it is. So uh, I honestly hope that they go back to it. I, I wish that Fortnite kind of inspired more developers to try it, like just make a game where there's one basic mechanic, like you're just flying or you're just, you know, you're, it's a battle royale game. That's it. Like there's no, Oh yeah. I I mean, I like it. Like I don't get me wrong. Like I got nothing against it. I actually love stuff like that. I think that the issue is that 
well, I guess honestly, before Fortnite and a lot of these games were that were like that are free to play, the issue for a lot of these developers was more the fact that like, okay, if we just make like a game that just has one thing or does one thing really well, how do we sell it for eighty dollars? Yeah, that that's true. The price of games is way higher. Where well, it's it's not actually much higher right now. It's about the same, which is crazy to think about what games are now. But then you get games like. Uh, well, Grand Theft Auto 2, but Red, I was thinking Red Dead, where you can pretty much literally do anything in those games, the Rockstar games at least. Uh, yeah, it's it's crazy. Like the fact, like some people play GTA 5 just for the golf simulation. I'm not even joking. Like that's play like just to fly around. Yeah, yeah, which is cool. Like that's amazing. But uh, you could play those games and not experience anything that everyone else is. I play Red Dead a lot for the poker. <laughs> the poker in it is really good. <laughs> no i know a guy that just plays it he just hunts that's all he does it's a hunting simulator for him yeah because it's actually a really 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 good hunting simulator in that sense yeah that uh, that was the, the this time of gaming like it wasn't there were no open world games yet like you you, you played the game <laughs> that's what you did you mm-hmm. whatever the developers wanted you to do in the game that's what you did yeah it's true uh, and for the most part like the the great games that were great they did it really well yeah and uh star wars uh, rogue leader rogue squadron 2 Jesus, that title. Uh, it did space flight combat probably the best of anyone who's ever done since. You're right. Yep. Yep. I agree. Yep. Star Fox Zero didn't come close. All right. So Batman Vengeance actually has a level where you fly with the Batwing. Uh, it's only one level, which I hate, but it's it's so, so much fun. Uh, for whatever reason, they got the controls like perfectly right. It's really addicting to play. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of that level on... Um, Nightfire, where you race in the Vanquish. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's very similar to that, where, like, for whatever reason, the controls feel really fluid and really fun to use. Maybe it's because you're never, like, you're always just, like, slowly walking around. So when you get that one chance to just drive really fast and, like, recklessly, then it's so much fun. That's probably it. It's, like, it's, like, the climax of the game. And then, it, yeah, you appreciated it a lot more because it wasn't beaten mm-hmm. and beat it, beat it out of you. Cool. Okay. All right. Next game. Uh, I'm not going in any alphabetical order, I guess. I don't know. Maybe I am. No. Uh, but anyway, the next game I have here is Super Monkey Ball. Woohoo! Uh, Fantastic game. Basically, Marble Madness. It's a Marble Madness clone, uh, given a really interesting flair uh, where you play as monkeys in these little glass balls. You're balancing on platforms, you're going over jumps, uh, flying off of ramps. Really random idea. Um, but I absolutely love this franchise. <laughs> oh, I think it's... most people do. I, I've never met anybody that doesn't like it. Yeah. Oh, you no, know? it's, it's, yeah. The crazy thing is, is that this exists. Uh, the fact that there's like super monkey ball tournaments still that people play these games and there's tons and tons of memes, uh, that have come from super monkey ball. Uh, there's a whole like meme culture that exists for it. Uh, and there's all these speed runs, Super Monkey Ball speed runs. Very, very popular. I can see that. It's it's a really technical game. It, the physics are what what caught what caught my eye when I I played this back in the day at a friend's house, and I never bought it until way later. I think I got this maybe last year with you at one of the uh, local stores. But it holds up really well. Yeah. The controls are tight. Yep. Um, the gra- graphically, it's bright. It's a, it's just a fun game. Uh. I guess I'll read the back. Uh, 
Hey, party animals, <laughs> call your friends and warn your neighbors. It's time to have a ball. Warn Go bananas with 90 plus stages. <laughs> Multiplayer madness and seven uh, cool ways to play. Equal parts party and game. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> Super Monkey Ball could be the most well-rounded game you've ever played. So, I don't know how true this is. Uh, I remember, I, I'm, I don't think anyone has actually uh, written this down. Someone told me this. It's classic, like, older brother told me this or something. Um, the uh, I heard that the devs for this game were inspired to make Super Monkey Ball after falling off of Rainbow Road so many times. That's funny. That is... I can see that. That is... Uh, maybe it's, like, just a folklore kind of legend, but it kind of makes sense, especially as you're just watching this now, the idea that, oh, like, if you fall, you can actually go to this next platform and you can find another way to the, the end, uh, which is pretty neat. You're, you're, of course, talking about Rainbow Road on Nintendo 64, which is infamously, like, one of the worst Mario Kart stages. Yeah, especially the 64 one, because that one was just unfair. That was just stupid. Yeah, it's not fun. It's just not a, <laughs> it's just not a fun course. I, I love the music in that level. I think it's great. I played it for hours because you have no choice but to play it for hours. Yep. But when you fall off, like, wow. you, you don't stand a chance. Well, anyways, yeah, it was, it's, I'm watching this, the competitive Super Monkey Ball, and uh, this one guy is just doing these crazy bounces uh, where, like, obviously, yeah, the goal of Super Monkey Ball is to go along these, these floors, basically, and just go along them and not fall off. Uh, and when you do fall off, maybe you find creative ways to get back on. But he's he's doing these like unbelievable ways that like shouldn't actually exist. Breaking the game. I guess that's probably something we should do with this podcast is try to explain the game a little bit that we've played. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you're a monkey in a ball. And uh, the point is that, you, like, as Mike said, you uh, you're rolling down platforms, basically uh, trying not to fall off in a nutshell. That's basically but the actual like game it comes from is those old games where you had the marble in the middle right uh and you had to try and get the marble to the the end of the maze uh without it like uh going off right uh, so that's kind of the idea behind this and then they were like hey why don't we make a game and this is another it's funny i think we're gonna have a lot of these this is another example of a game that does one thing really well yeah yeah and I mean, there's no campaign in this one. Uh, it's mostly just a party game. You can yep. play with four people. Um, yeah, you're just a marble. Like, it's uh, there's no heart-wrenching story. There's no great <laughs> voice acting. So I'm I'm trying to remember. I'm looking at Super, Bowl, uh, Super Monkey Ball 1 and 2. I can't remember which one was harder. Uh, I had two, though, I'm pretty sure, looking at this right now. I, didn't, I never played two. I only played one. I mean, they're basically the same game. <laughs> <laughs> this was the time before dlc so they had to release a two yeah mind you super monkey ball comes out less than a year two comes out less than a year less than six months i believe after after the first one three months i think we got three monkey ball games on gamecube and they got like a thousand more on wii yeah it's, it's they still make games for the series technically because uh they are um they are remastering or maybe they already did remaster banana blitz right on the new uh, Switch hardware, so yep. we look forward to playing that one day, maybe. Um, beyond the back, you know, you got a few screenshots from the the game. Uh, monkey billiards, they just put monkey in front of everything. Monkey billiards, <laughs> monkey bowling, monkey golf, monkey fight, monkey, monkey race. What? I don't remember the go. I don't remember the sport ones, but I mean, I don't think I ever played those. I think I just like went to do this for like twenty minutes, and then that was it. 
Monkey Target for me was always the fun one. That's the one where you go off of a, you go downhill off a ramp, and then your ball opens and you turn into kind of like a floating yes bug, and you try and land on the target. You pick up things on your way down. Yeah, that was always the fun one for me. When you, when they zoom into the monkey's face, it's very disturbing. They like they render him really weirdly when the, when they zoom in. Like he's normal all the other times, but as soon as they zoom into his face, it's like oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, they're pretty terrifying. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's all I got for Super Monkey Ball. We will be talking about Super Monkey Ball 2 uh, very shortly. Very shortly. Another Sega game, too, by the way. Oh, uh, yeah, this is Sega. You're right. Yep. Two Sega games at launch, at least. I can't. I don't think there's any more. Now, was Super Monkey Ball originally made for or supposed to be for Dreamcast? Oh, I'm sure it was supposed to be, but I don't think it ever came to Dreamcast. Yeah. Because Dreamcast only lasted two years. Two years, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so I'm sure that this was a Dreamcast game. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the last game for our first episode, uh, last launch game we're going to talk about, is the GameCube exclusive Wave Race Blue Storm. Yeah, this is a really interesting game because this is a game that a lot of people I've talked to still like talk about. But it's, I don't know, it's, it's, it's in this weird realm because you don't really see this at all anymore. This is a Nintendo IP uh, that is, I mean, we consider it to be like a double A game because it feels like it's more of a external developer creating this uh, for Nintendo. And I can't think of any other game in the last 10 years that would be comparable to Wave Race in that sense. No, I mean, again, you go back to what you say about doing one thing really well. This is something that you would just do in GTA. Yeah. You, you would just uh, see do. You would ride it. Okay. So Blue Storm, it's Wave Race is a franchise that uh, started on the N64 with just Wave Race. Uh, it was a very great uh, simulator of uh, jet ski racing. Uh, it's better than this game. Uh, I think that that's a universal opinion. Um, but anyway, they followed it up on GameCube with the launch game Wave Race Blue Storm. Uh, it's not quite as good as the 64 game, but... Yeah, you just you're racing in a jet ski, uh, something that you would just do in an open world game for fun. Um, so it's not something that anything Nintendo would do anything like recently. Uh, they had a few of these types of games back in the day. They had the snowboarding game. They had this. They had Excite Bike, kind of like an extreme sport uh, side of the company, which I'd love to see them go back to. Mm -hmm. I really miss that um, because those were great games. They still are great, but. We don't get that anymore, unfortunately. Uh, so I'll just read the back of the game real quick. Storm warning. Prepare for the wettest, wildest racing ever as Wave Race splashes onto the Nintendo GameCube. Huh? Ha ha. That was it. Oh, what? <laughs> and then they uh. say it again in French. I mean, they do a whole bunch of little blurbs above each of the screens. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which I don't feel like reading. I didn't know this. I honestly... Just full disclosure, I know almost nothing about this game. I rem I remember it. I know of it, obviously, but I never played it. Um, but I'm reading about it right now. Uh, there uh, are a lot of characters from 1080 in this game. Did you know that? I thought some of them looked like just re uh, like reskins. Like they just look like the character again with different clothing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's I guess basically, but they actually admitted to it. I guess and are just like, oh no, you know, this is this is the 1080 guy. <laughs> uh, I kind of like that there's crossover. Yeah. Like yeah. maybe make maybe make like a team of people that are just these extreme sport fanatics that they 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 wave race, they snowboard, they they you know they ride dirt bikes and just like make a franchise around. I think that was the idea to be honest. Yeah, go back to that, man. <laughs>
Yeah, this is uh and there's a Canadian too, uh Ricky Winterbaum. Uh from uh uh from 1080 snowboarding. Is he from Winnipeg? Where what's his backstory? He, <laughs> yeah, I hope there's more backstories in this game. He goes to Banff every summer. He loves maple syrup. I know that this game was the criticism of it was quite negative, which is, I think, the reason why this game doesn't exist anymore uh, or this franchise doesn't exist anymore, I should say. People didn't like the controls. They thought they were very twitchy. Uh, they required kind of a delicate touch for the GameCube. Um, it's which very sim it's a simulator racing, so it's not like it's not supposed to be easy to control. You, there's wave physics. Uh... Yeah, yeah. I think the problem was that the control like the actually having the gamecube gamecube controller didn't port over that well to it when they actually made the game i don't think they considered the gamecube controller all that much i think they kind of just had the n64 version kind of just like put stuff on top of it and made a new game and that's what the biggest criticism i feel like uh, was towards it mm. uh, especially the the fact that the courses are are basically copies or redesigns of the 64 one yeah. Uh, the graphically, uh, it was almost identical to N sixty four, which I think is a huge like. What are you doing there, right? Yeah, it looks similar. I mean, what can you do, right? You're on a beach for the most part, so it's just an upraised version of the game before. Right? Like they're not going to go to space or anything. So <laughs> I want that. Hard. I mean, what more can you? Do? They also said that uh, they didn't like the use of the controllers L and R buttons uh, for racing. For whatever I don't know, whatever reason, it's it's a very difficult game. Like there's there's layers. It's it's a, you're against other opponents. Obviously, there's also the added complexity of you need to go around certain buoys mm -hmm. on the track. So you have to go left, right, left, right. And if you miss uh, five in a row, or if you miss five in in the whole race, you're out. Mm -hmm. So there's that that made it a lot harder. Uh, and then again, there's waves knocking you back and forth. So you need to maneuver those. So I can see how people might have bought this on day one thinking they were going to get, you know, a party game, kind of like a beach going game. Uh, and they ended up getting more of like a hardcore racing game. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely could see that. It's um, it's funny, too, because so there's a clone of this game that it does exist, but not for GameCube. Can you name that clone for PlayStation? Uh, and uh, okay. this, this is this is where we have trivia time. Do, 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 do. I give up. Uh, it's Splashdown. Oh, Splashdown. Okay. Yeah. Might be interesting to compare the two. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure it did okay. As well as a jet ski racing game can possibly do on the PS2. I'm sure it did that. It's published by THQ. Oh, okay. Yeah. They were a good publisher back then. So. Yeah. Splashdown is quite similar to Nintendo's Wave Race series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you love it when your review is just comparing you to whatever you're closest to that's that's all the games yeah that's the first five games in this lot um so of these five mike if you had your your 20 dollar eb games gift card that you had to take into the store to pick up one game out of these five which one do you think you would recommend people buy hmm, great question i think I, i'd probably say crazy taxi uh, uh because it's such a fun game that you can easily go back and play. Uh, my favorite of these games is Batman Vengeance, uh, just because I I like really like that game. But I don't think it's that good to go back to now because it's there's so many better Batman games now, right? It's it's they've just been overtaken in that sense. I feel like Crazy Taxi is something that is just like mindless fun. That is a really good launch game pickup because it just 
it's just a good time. And like we already touched on, it does one thing really well. And that's all you really need for something like that. Wave race is wave race. But yeah, Crazy Taxi would be my pick. Crazy Taxi? Yeah. I'd probably recommend if, if you buy the GameCube and you had to pick between these uh, five games, I would go with Rogue Leader. Um, so much replay value. Uh, it's a single player only, which kind of hurts it a little bit, in my opinion. I, I do like to play multiplayer games. Mm-hmm. But if, if you just had a choice between one game, since the GameCube only had one controller at launch, uh, you had to buy more, uh, yep. this game would have kept you entertained for a long time. Yeah. Especially if you're not a Star Wars fan, maybe not so much, but uh, that doesn't apply to me. So... I would re- highly recommend this to any Star Wars fan. I don't think there's been a game this good and high in quality in Star Wars since. Uh, I'm trying to think in the PS3 generation afterwards, we might have got you know Force Unleashed. And then in this generation, EA hasn't really given us much of anything. No. So, I mean, yeah, the new the new game is, it is what it is. But uh, this is definitely the last great Star Wars game. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's probably true. Yep. It's the best way to play the original trilogy. It doesn't touch on the prequels at all. <laughs> Always good. I don't know how they got away with that uh, in the early 2000s to not make a game around the good, prequels. Good point, actually. I never even thought about that. But you're totally right. Yeah. How do you allow that to happen if you're LucasArts? Because this was 2001, which means the development probably went around 1999, which was when Episode 1 came out. And Episode 2 was shortly coming after, so... Right. And there were already multiple prequel games on the previous hardware. So it's weird that they said, we're going to make a game based solely around the original trilogy. And we're not going to talk about your new stuff. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. It is LucasArts. So I don't know. That's weird. I never thought about that until just now. (laughs) I mean, yeah, like you're you're right. Yeah, that's uh, like now that would never happen. No, there's no way. No, yeah, like like if EA came out and said this is this is only going to take place in the original trilogy, there's no way like they because like there's always that idea of free thing. Yeah, like like even the new Battlefront games, they obviously took place between the original trilogy, but there was always a tie-in for for everything. But yeah, none almost almost Leader. to an annoying level the way that they tie it in everything. <laughs> It is kind of annoying now the way that they tie in everything to everything. Because it's very commercial, right? It's because video games themselves are so much bigger in terms of commercial appeal than they ever have been. And it's such more, it's so much more of a formulaic business than it used to be, right? Which is why we're doing this podcast because we have such fond memories of the non formulaic days of the early 2000s. Before DLC and mobile games were just snake on your dad's phone. <laughs> uh, I'd like to also mention the other games that were released uh, on launch day. Uh, we just touched on the five AA games in quotes, uh, but uh, we'd also like to mention uh, some of the other ones here, such as All-Star Baseball 2002, Dave Mira, Freestyle BMX 2, uh, Tarzan, <laughs> Tarzan Untamed, um, which uh, I can't wait to talk about that in our movie tie-in episode. Yep. Uh, Tony Hawk Pro Skater 3, uh, NHL Hits 2002, one of my personal favorites, uh, and Madden NFL 2002, which I don't care about. So, That'll actually be on next episode, episode two. Which is in turn later. But yeah, so that that's a good first episode, I think. Yeah, no, uh, I uh, it was a thanks for joining Neil. Well, I guess this is your podcast too, so thanks for yeah 
being here. Anytime. Like... <laughs> yeah, and uh, we will be having guests on throughout the series. Um, we're really excited for a couple of uh, guests uh, coming up. Uh, there's a lot of friends of the show. Uh, and there's a lot of people who are really passionate about some of these games. Uh, and it's going to be kind of fun to track some of these people down and talk to them about games that they played almost 20 years ago that they have super fond memories of. Because games like these, you always get to kind of hear about cool, um, almost like folklore, like I talked about with uh, Super Monkey Ball, where everyone has their own stories of the games and how they started playing them and their own little things that they discovered in the games. Uh, so, yeah, I'm really, uh, really excited for that. I concur. Sounds good. Uh, yeah, all right. We don't. I don't know if we have a closing jingle, but we will insert it after. Yeah, I guess we need to have a closing jingle. Yeah, Victor, if you're listening, can you make a closing jingle for us? Something like that. Anyway, Thank you. take care. See you next week. Signing off. Yep.